the National Women's Soccer League kicks off March 16th on ION. It's a new Saturday night destination featuring the best players in the world. Yeah. Look. 25 Saturday nights, 50 matches, all season long on ION. Alan Frenta Williams slips through, here's a shot, and it's in! This is a game changer for sports. Sabina takes a shot herself! See the full schedule and find where to watch at IonNWSL.com. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. This week, Alyssa Mastromonaco joins to answer some burning questions, including what's Alan Dershowitz's problem? I think it's he's a sex creep. Is there any hope for women at all who still support Donald Trump? And more. Then Michaela Watkins, Megan Gailey, and Kieran Deal join me in studio for a light, breezy conversation on death, meteors, and ayahuasca, because why not? Then, as always, the hills will die on. Before we get to the show, a little bit of housekeeping. If you want to submit a hill you'll die on, record a 30-second voice memo on your phone and send it to hysteria at crooked.com. That is where we receive all of our mail, and that is where both me and Caroline check the mail. So love notes and hate messages to our personal accounts, please. If you want to submit a question for Dude You Asked, please send it to us at hysteria at crooked.com, or you can submit questions via Twitter and Instagram, and don't forget to check out the segment on YouTube and IGTV. I want to give a shout out this week to a special group of listeners. This week, our listeners who work in healthcare, nurses, doctors, people who work as home health aides, people who work as nursing assistants, your jobs are very hard, and I don't think I could do that job, but you're so necessary and we're so glad that you're tuning in. One last thing, a little disclaimer about this week's episode. We're talking about death and dying this week, which is a sensitive topic to a lot of people. I just want to take a moment to say if you are in crisis or emotional distress and you need to talk to somebody, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline's number is 1-800-273-8255. Somebody is available at that number 24-7. That's 1-800-273-8255. Now let's get to the show. morning, Alyssa. Morning, girl. How are you doing? Honestly, I feel really good. I had a really good night last night. That's great. I'm mm-hmm. feeling good because I just read something pretty interesting. I read that the American Psychological Association just published a study that found that the majority of Americans believe women are just as competent as men. I read the same thing. And it seems like <laughs> the tide is really turning in our direction. It's everything's coming up, ladies. What do you think finally made people think, you know, maybe women know what they're doing? Like, was there a tipping point? You know, I'm not entirely sure. Maybe, maybe it was the fact that like Hillary Clinton ran and was like really qualified and people didn't give her the benefit of the fucking doubt. And now we have this orange menace as a president and people are like, fuck, she actually was way better. Mm-hmm. And maybe they've just described it to the entire gender. Hmm. I actually think it kind of predated that a little bit. I think that people started changing their minds. Remember a few years ago, there was that yogurt commercial where the woman was on the phone with her friends describing the different flavors of yogurt in her fridge. And the husband thought that it was actual treats. And then he went over to the fridge expecting to see key lime pie and Boston cream pie. 
I do remember that. I think you'll play. Yes. I think that was the, the moment when people are like, are men stupid? It's well, I mean, look, you know, I'm a huge deadhead. And one of my favorite covers they do is man, smart, woman, smarter. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm going to have to take your word for it because yeah. my my dead education is is lacking. Unfortunately, don't worry, I'm not lying to you. <laughs> I believe you. I believe everything you say. I find you very trustworthy, Alyssa. But you know what I thought was e- was even more interesting or just like a little kernel from that article that was kind of cool is that when asked if there was a gender that they thought was smarter, they picked women. Hmm. Interesting. So we we are as smart and sometimes in some people's opinions, smarter. <laughs> hmm. God, if only we had upper body strength, we would rule the world, huh? Do you know how many push-ups I can do? Like oh. a lot. That, like not Michelle Obama level, but like I'm pretty good. That's awesome. We're becoming um uh we're 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 Terminator twoing. We're like getting super buff and getting ready to take on the apocalypse. Which is coming. So, you know. Hooray. 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 Uh let's get into the news this week. On Monday, The New Yorker published a piece by Connie Buck that detailed lawyer and outspoken Trump ally Ellen Dershowitz's long history of defending men who hurt women and the allegations that Dershowitz himself hurts women. Um, So he's defended Mike Tyson. And uh, when he defended Mike Tyson, he uh, portrayed the woman that Tyson raped as somebody who was too sexually promiscuous to have been raped. Um, he also was uh, among the fr- the front lines in defending Jeffrey Epstein, his friend, um, who at this point seems more likely to be a pedophile than an actual billionaire. So Dershowitz is sort of, let's just call him the Clarence Darrow of sex creeps. Do you think that's fair? It's fair. He's also like a crypt keeper. Like he's so just like wretched and watching him defend himself. It's just like, I don't know, his face doesn't do him any favors. I know that's mean to say, but I don't really care. You know what? I think if you're a terrible person, we can talk about how ugly you are. And here's the terribleness is that one of my favorite quotes of his was when talking about um, working with Epstein. I think of myself like a doctor or a priest. If they wheel Jeffrey Epstein into the emergency ward, the doctor is going to take care of him. Oh, actually not at all no. related. Like, no, like that's not analogous. Aren't lawyers supposed to be really good at analogies? Like, isn't that part of their job? That is, that's terrible. I mean, and then, you know, another thing was even after that article came out, he was trying to tweet through it. Um, Gershowitz, <laughs> which don't do that. Don't tweet. Don't it, do that. Especially if it regards the allegations in the article talk about, or it, it talks about a woman who um, is uh, outside spoken about the Epstein case, who is actually suing Dershowitz, alleging that Dershowitz and she had sexual contact when the girl was 16. So Dershowitz uh, was tweeting that he thinks that the age of consent should be lowered. This is this really happened. I mean, did was I having a stroke or did this really no. happen? No. And it was a very um, complicated, like I had to read it a couple times. He basically says that it's if a 16-year-old, and correct me if I get this wrong, if a 16-year-old can go and have an abortion without their parents' consent, then a 16-year-old should be able to have sex with an old man or <laughs> and, and it should be okay because it's the same yeah. is what his argument was. Uh, it's, do you ever think like, sometimes I think I have reading comprehension problems. Like, you know, I'm doing too much or I smoke too much pot and I'm like, no, I really, it's what it said. It's really what it said. Yeah. It's, I'm not sure what he was 
going for. But here's something about the whole Dershowitz thing is like anything that he says about how old men should have the right to have sex with 16 year old girls and not only not get in trouble for it, but be applauded for it or whatever he's trying to say. Um, nothing that he says along those lines is going to get him in trouble at all with President Trump, who is his uh, most prominent ally. Um, and like, you know, as we were putting together this show this week, I was thinking, you know, we're we're not the first people to be like, hey, Trump seems to like people who women say hurt them. Um, but I wanted to just kind of do you want to tag team on this list? We can go back and forth and talk about. Yeah, I mean, like, here's the so we can go. Well, there are so many examples. It's not just that he def, it's like a very specific kind of man. It's like if you're white and you went to Harvard or an Ivy League school, you're a good person, Aaron. You're a good person, and you couldn't have done anything wrong. So Okay. Well, see, I'm I'm of two minds there. I sort of think, uh, let's focus on the phrase anything wrong. So if you're a, white, you're a white man who went to an Ivy League school and you wear a tie and you say nice things about Donald Trump, then I don't know if it's that you can do and you can't have done anything wrong or if you could or if it is you can do anything you want and it's not wrong. Do you know like, what I mean? Uh, yes. Like Rob Porter. Right. Rob Porter. I, I He was alleged to have abused um, an ex-wife. Um, there was Roy Moore, who is uh, pretty much uh, Alabama's main sex creep. Um, Brett Kavanaugh, who was accused of sexual assault um, of a classmate when he was in high school. Um, There's Roger Ailes, who built a whole media empire on being a sex creep. Uh, Bill O'Reilly, who paid a total of $45 million in settlements to various sexual harassment victims. Alex Acosta, who got Epstein a sweetheart deal. We have Andrew Puzder. Do you remember him? Andrew Puzder? (laughs) Yeah, vaguely. Uh, he was the first one to be nominated for Secretary of Labor under Trump until it was revealed that Puzder's ex-wife had appeared on Oprah's show in disguise to talk about oh, how yes, Puzder yes, yes. had abused her. And Trump wanted to pull, like keep going with the nomination until it was clear that he didn't have enough votes. God, it feels like 10 years ago that that happened. I mean, every day is like a century. Yeah. Well, and there was also Patrick Shanahan, Corey Lewandowski, Steve Wynn, the Harvey Weinstein of Vegas. Uh, the, GOP, <laughs> the GOP still hasn't returned the massive amounts of money he's donated to them. And Steve Bannon, whose ex-wife alleged spousal abuse. None of them have received condemnation from Trump. And I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the latest on this kind of unfortunate oh. squadron. Um Trump has nominated General John Hyten, who is the current head of U.S. Strategic Command, to be the next vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Hyten is alleged to have sexually assaulted Army Colonel Catherine Spletstoser. She says that he assaulted her in 2017 during a defense policy trip. Alyssa, what do you make of Hyten's continued progression through the nominating uh, process? Well, I think one of the most disturbing parts of what happened yesterday was Senator Martha McSally, who herself came forward as a sexual assault survivor, who who says, the truth is that General Hyten is innocent of these charges. Sexual assault happens in the military. It just didn't happen in this case. 
And that's another thing that is um, a through line in how the GOP deals with things. They stipulate things happen. It's just that this one person is wrong about who did it to her. Mm -hmm. Like, we believe you, woman. We believe you that something happened to you. It just wasn't by this guy. Because somehow you, while being assaulted, allegedly, um, you know, blinked and missed, you know, who the person was that was assaulting you, um, which is what they did to Dr. Blasey Ford. And, you know, I just, for her to just, for Martha McSally to just sit there and say, it did not happen. How the fuck does she know? Yeah. Were you there? It's sort of like how Mike Pence talks about Donald Trump's 23 accusers. Um, Donald Trump and Mike Pence literally met in like 2016. So was Mike Pence hanging out in like Donald's pocket square for those last, you know, several decades? Right. And I guess my thing too, is that, you know, these appointed positions are a privilege, not a right. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I just wonder why they can't find better people who aren't accused of doing such things. Right. And I think one of the things that makes this accusation so serious um, is that it occurred in the line of Hyten's work. He was right. at work and he his actions impacted the work and career of another person. Not that doing it at work makes it worse than anything else, but when he's trying to move up the chain at work, if mm -hmm. when he was lower on the chain, he used his power to abuse people, that's something that should be disqualifying in the context of a government appointment. Agree. Yeah. Hard agree. Um, so all this being said, we have uh, a little bit of encouraging news this week. Um, Donald Trump has kind of been leaning into the racism thing in addition to leaning into the men that are my friends can do anything they want to whoever they want thing. Um, mm. But suburban women are still fleeing from Trump slowly, but surely. Um, do you think that the women who are, do you think there are still women who are on the fence about Donald Trump? And if they are, what would you say to them? I feel like women who are still on the fence about Donald Trump are strictly thinking economically, I guess. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it's pretty clear. He doesn't think, I mean, well, he doesn't think much of women, but I think that, that it's, I think that we have to tell them that one, they should really look at their bank accounts. How much better are they doing? The problem is he spews this garbage that everyone's doing better. And I think some people aren't doing the critical math to figure out whether they actually are doing better. Mm -hmm. And you know, he, 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 um, I think that, I don't know. I really don't know what to tell them. I mean, it's pretty sad if they still think right now that he's, that like after everything he has said and the moral zero-ness that he has, that they're like, mm, I don't know, maybe. So I don't know what you say to people like that. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I think about a lot because I know, uh, I know people from back home. I don't know people like that out here in La La Land. <laughs> um, but I know people back home who still support the president. And it almost seems to me like they're looking for, they, they just want to support him. They don't really care about right. the facts. They don't really care about anything. They just believe that everything that he's done, everything that he's said, all the people that he's hurt, all the children he's caged are acceptable collateral damage to them paying slightly less in taxes and them feeling like the liberals are mad. And I right. think that that's a kind of morally repugnant stance. But at the same time, I'm thinking about women who are now deciding, you know what, I've had enough 
And I don't want to be like, get out of here, bitch. You're not welcome. Right. No. <laughs> you know, no, it's open, like open, open arms. Yeah. Open arms. Yeah. I we, mean, you and I firmly believe people are allowed to change their minds. Yes. Yeah. And but I feel like it should have been changed by now. <laughs> it definitely should have. But if anybody is still on the fence and does change their mind, or if anybody's newly decided that they don't like President Trump, welcome, man. I mean, on one hand, what took you so long? But on the other hand, you know, we've got a lot of space. Have a seat. Like, <laughs> here's a glass of wine. Let's talk about your journey. And, you know, look, if Hannah the Bachelorette can decide to get unengaged on television, people can decide to leave Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. That's such a good point. I didn't Don't watch you this. think? You know what, Alyssa? Confession. I did not watch this season of The Bachelorette because if I'm being honest with myself, mm. um, Bachelor in Paradise is really my jam. I only watch the original Bachelor and Bachelorette so that I can get to know the people that will eventually be on Bachelor in Paradise, which is the real show. So I completely understand that. It is Donald Trump that thrust me into watching The Bachelor and The Bachelorette because I needed two hours a week where I literally didn't watch the news. And I just have to say, I was I was not sold on Hannah at the beginning of the season, but fucking sister friend really brought it home last night. Wow. Okay, yeah. well, I'll have to take your word for it. Um, are you ready for toast or roast this week? Do you have a toast or a roast? Well, yes, I do, as a matter of fact. Okay, what are you going to do? So my toast is Maisie Hirono, who again, like all, there are so many women actually this time running for so many people actually running from the Senate for president that the people who are actually holding it down at home, I don't think are getting the credit they deserve. And Maisie was holding it down at Hayden's hearing yesterday. And I just want to send her a shout out. Okay. That's great. Um, I want to do a quick little roast. Of mm. oof. I, I know that we uh, we liberals get accused of attacking our own, but I have to to roast Claire McCaskill, who um, former United States senator from the state of Missouri. Um, yesterday, after the debate, Claire McCaskill was kind of disparaging Medicare for all and saying that people in the Midwest don't like free stuff. And it, it's just Claire. No, first of all, I know this is going to be controversial. I don't consider Missouri the Midwest. I don't. I don't consider it's not, is it? I, a, a lot of people on Twitter got mad at me because I was like, if your if you have, your state has people with southern accents, or if your state ever had slaves and is not a part of the original thirteen colonies, then you are not in the Midwest. You're in the South. But people were mad about it. So anyway, I think first of all, Claire McCaskill, you don't really speak for people in the Midwest. Um, you definitely don't officially speak for people in the Midwest because you're no longer a senator. Um, but secondly, Medicare for all plays really well in parts of the Midwest where I'm from. Bernie Sanders won Democratic primary in the state of Wisconsin. And part of the reason he did is because a lot of people like the idea of Medicare for all. And, you know, the Midwest has a great socialist tradition as socialist in terms of everybody taking care of each other, not socialist like Stalin-esque. Um, and so I don't know that, that Claire McCaskill is in any position to say that people taking care of each other and people being taken care of is something that doesn't play in the Midwest because it definitely plays for this Midwesterner. So that's my roast. I fully agree. And I thought she was just Janet from another planet yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. All right. Well, um, sorry, we couldn't really get into the debates since we're like midway through them and people are going to hear this on the other half of 
are on the other side of tonight's debate. They can follow us on Twitter. They can follow us on Twitter. We're definitely going to be live tweeting it. Hot takes. Hot takes left and right. Okay, Alyssa. Well, this was great as always. And uh, we'll talk next week. Bye. Bye. We have to take a break. But when we come back, there'll be more hysteria. Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Tired of boring workout gear? Check out Viore. Viore's versatile and comfy products are designed to look great in and outside the gym, whether you're running, training, or even just lying on your couch, enjoying the fact that your two-year-old child is leaving you alone for five blessed minutes. I love that for Viore. You know what? That seems like a real perk of Viore. (laughs) It is. It's perfect. It's cut perfectly for lying down and just savoring a moment to be left alone. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> five the, stars no five comment. 100% great that's the type that's my favorite sport the new the women's performance jogger is the softest jogger you'll ever own grab one of these new colors before they sell out and check out the women's daily legging which features a high waist drawstring tie and upgraded no slip fit all things that are absolutely essential in a legging essential uh, I love these leggings they are because you know like not everybody's the same you know so mm-hmm. it's like I need a little bit more room around my booty so I size up a little bit, but then it's usually too big in my waist. And so now I just, just pull that drawstring and I don't show, I don't show any crack when I bend over. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. See, you have your baby and I have my butt crack. (laughs) (laughs) For guys, there's the men's core short, the most comfy lined athletic short out there and the men's Sunday performance jogger. Oh my gosh, Alyssa, my brother, who I have given Viore performance gear to. Won an ultra marathon over the holidays. I saw that. That is so incredible. He ran 80 miles in the freezing cold. I don't think he was wearing his Viore core shorts because that would be dangerous. Dangerous. But, but he he loves wearing them to train, and uh, I'm so proud of him. I'm so pr- Viore played a role in his ultra marathon win. <laughs> Uh, plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint and reducing and offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 onwards. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to fiori.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. Hysteria is brought to you by ZocDoc. Do you love to treat yourself? Maybe you buy fancy coffee. I know everybody does, right? Yeah, come on. It's called a dopamine infusion. We do what we can when we can. Exactly. Sometimes you just need a little special little treat to boost you to get through the day. If you treat yourself to the top options other places, why settle when finding a doctor? It's your health after all. Enter ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top-tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. So don't settle. Go for the best and find the right doctor for you. Erin, let me tell you, I'm so lucky ZocDoc heard that my dermatologist was not taking my insurance anymore. I found a new dermatologist in a half hour on ZocDoc. Takes my insurance not far away. Got an appointment right away. That's something that would take like a good half day of sweaty phone work. Yeah. In a pre-ZocDoc era. 
you're just prostrating yourself to the poor receptionists that answer the call, no. and you're like, no, you're, you're not calling. You're on hold. You're giving them information. They're asking you. They're they're framing their questions in ways that you don't quite understand because that's not how it's written on your insurance totally. card. Totally. My group number? I don't know. <laughs> I don't bin number. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Zocdoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com hysteria and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot hysteria. ZocDoc.com hysteria. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. And welcome back. We're at the part of the show where me and a table full of wonderful women talk about things that we think about a lot. I want to introduce the panel that we have today. First of all, returning from a long hiatus. I can't believe that you're still alive. I can't either. Um, but thankfully, you indicated that you were still alive by posting dog pics from time to time. <laughs> Jeff the dog was like your little like flag yes. that you raised. My okay. lifeline. Michaela's still She's still with us. It's Michaela Watkins. Oh, hello, hello. I got to bring my dog on my travels. The whole, uh, all of them? Not all of them, but most of them. I had to come back here for a quickie and uh, <laughs> with my husband. Uh, it's a, a sexual quickie. Just I wish, be, just I wish we were that couple that was like, we, we shall not be apart longer than two weeks. And if we are, we will get on the nearest plane and have a quickie. <laughs> Um, but we're not those people. So, um, but I did come back, retrieve my dog. I am a terrible flyer. So I, he's in my emotional support animal and, uh, he, he's my comrade and he comes with me everywhere. And, um, and he's, it's just, yeah, it's, if does it's, he sit on your lap? Well, technically the airlines don't allow it because he's big, you know, he's, I mean, he's midsize. He's mm -hmm. like a 37 pounder, but, um, I got a note slipped to me in, um, I was on JetBlue, bless you JetBlue, and uh, he, I it was very bumpy flight. I mean, it was out of control. And the dog climbed up on me, Jeff um, climbed up and laid his body on top of me. I was in one of those lay flat minty beds mm -hmm. here that they have. And uh, I thought I'm going to get busted. And, and I fell asleep with him on my body and I woke up, which, and there was a note that said, hi, I, I loved you as this character on the show, you know, big fan. And I was like, Aww. this is the first time this perk has really gone my way. Uh, so body notes are a creepy way to convey your fandom though, yeah. in general. I think if you see someone that you, whose work you're a fan of, don't leave a note on their body. I like it. It wasn't on my body. Sorry. It was on oh. this little side okay. table. Um, my dog was on my body. Oh, okay. Um, but she didn't say like, you got to get that dog off your oh, body. Good. Yeah. You know? I think when you're in a pod, they're like, whatever you want to do. Yeah. It was a free for all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, second up, we have the person returning from the second longest hiatus at the table today. It's Megan Gailey. Wow. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. I don't even think I've been anywhere. I've <laughs> <laughs> just been here. <laughs> just waiting for the call. Nosferatu style. <laughs> Guys, I'm ready. 
And last but not least, returning from the shortest hiatus of all, so short that I can't be positive she wasn't sleeping here. Yep. I was in your house Karen, eating your tacos. Karen Deal. I have so many tacos. Come yes. and eat oh, some of them. There's leftovers too. So much. Mm. You can't just make a portion of pulled meat for one person. Yeah. There's not like a, an individual size instant pot. That sounds so good. There is. There is an individual size instant pot, but that's a different conversation for a different time. When you said that it took you two extra hours, I was like, oh, this bitch has extra food in her house. <laughs> <laughs> I've got so much food. Yeah. I've got so much food. Um, last Friday... It was my birthday and I was walking home from yoga and uh, on the way home, I had this feeling. I was like, somebody's in my house. Have you ever had that feeling? You're like, somebody's. Oh, like you thought you were getting a surprise party? I was like, some, no, somebody's, somebody's <laughs> in my house. I was like, somebody's in my No, I would never. Is that a syndrome? Surprise yeah. party syndrome? <laughs> and you come in the door. <laughs> oh, oh. Oh, it's. <laughs> what, a, what a sad mental <laughs> syndrome that I, would be. I don't not have that. <laughs> I could see that. I've told multiple people in my life, like, I'm not picking the birthday, but I do want a surprise party. <laughs> well, I need to execute. I do not. But on the way home, I was like, I think I feel like somebody's in my apartment. And so I've had that feeling before. And it's been like the maintenance guy or whatever. And I got there and it was uh, and before I opened the door, I was like, if they are robbing me, I hope they took my extra food. But it was Josh and he wasn't robbing me. Oh, he was setting oh. up a birthday surprise. He was, just he was adding to that food. Yeah, he was just making a birthday banner. And then oh. later that night, I made him watch San Junipero, the Black Mirror episode with me. Ooh, He'd never seen it. Really? Yeah. It's a good one. It's a good. It's the only yeah. happy one. All the other ones are very Which sad. Which one is that? It's the one where it's like um, the these two women meet in this oh, like yes, yes. magical town. Oh, that is the happy one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get into the topic for today. Um, I'm going to open with a few quotes because it's a topic that has inspired a lot of writing and curiosity and music. So the first one is by Caitlin Doty, who is a mortician and an author. She says, the fear of death is why we build cathedrals, have children, declare war and watch cat videos online at 3 a.m. This next quote is from um, neuroscientist David Eagleman. There are three deaths. The first is when the body ceases to function. The second is when the body is consigned to the grave. The third is that moment sometime in the future when your name is spoken for the last time. Oh, yeah, God. I know. Watching he- Megan's face <laughs> while you read these quotes <laughs> is giving me a lot of pleasure. Oh, like maybe, <laughs> maybe the most pleasure I felt at the beginning of a podcast oh, ever. I'm just Apparently like the number is 200, by the way, 200 years before there is not a trace of you at all. Like we're not you, your loved one, anybody you ever know will be alive. But what if you're verified? <laughs> you, you, like 300 years? This is, because like you can be interred in Twitter. You mean, you know, I mean like Shakespeare mm-hmm. lives on. Nah, he dead to me. He dead to you. <laughs> Tyler Perry's a new guy. Tyler Perry will live on. Tyler but he Perry will. Is the new Shakespeare. Medea will live on. You know what? That is true because in Shakespearean plays, a lot of times men played women. Yeah. And they played female. Highbrow, lowbrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Prolific amount of content. Mm-hmm. That is really Self made, does everything, and multi-hyphen now, it. And now we sit around and go, did Shakespeare really write it or was it, Anne, you know, Anne Hathaway? Tyler Perry wrote it. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's Tyler Perry. But, but I'm saying. Uh, Shakespeare cannot defend himself no. or herself. No. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. It, it, him or her, themselves. Themselves. Uh, the final quote is a little bit less, it's it's going to not induce a crisis okay. in one of our panelists, hopefully. Uh, Mark Twain said, I do not fear death. I had been dead for billions and billions of years before I was born and had not suffered the slightest inconvenience from it. <laughs> That's Mark Twain. He's so good with these. 
I wish I could have Mark Twain write all my death quotes. (laughs) (laughs) Which you could write all. He just left a treasury of of epitaphs, and we can just kind of use them. They're public domain. We can use them on on our tombstones as we die. So we're talking about death today. I want to talk about it with this specific panel because all of you have very interesting perspectives when it comes to death. I want to start, um, Michaela, since you've been gone for the longest, I want to start with you. Um, Do you think that we as a culture are good at handling death? No, I think we're actually terrible at it. And I think it has fed an incredible anxiety and an incredible... um, um, need to skirt death so much to the degree, degree that we do everything we can to not think about it and avoid it and distract ourselves from it. And what I have come to find through a couple of you know situations when I recently took a death and dying workshop because my anxiety around death has been so untenable, um, is that I um, find uh, that... What was I going to say? Um, <laughs> I was just like so impressed. I was like, she takes a lot of workshops. I did. I did take. I did. I took a death and dying workshop. It was actually a class for death midwifery for people who want to uh, help with the dying process and then help pe- help the people who have survived this person and the mourners handle and manage the body, mm. um, much in the way like the reverse of, you know, a, a, a birth midwif- mm-hmm. midwife. But um, she had this auxiliary side course for people who kind of needed to uh, look at their own death and, and make peace with their, you know, or at least look at, at their feelings around their own death. She couldn't send people out to go be death midwives if they're getting triggered all over the place. But anyway, back to your question, Erin. Um, do I think we handle it? Well, I think we handle it so poorly that if we would just accept that, you know, that death is something that, that happens to all of us, I mean, Remember that anyone who has ever lived has gone through this process, so we're in great company here. Um, that if we could just accept that, it would really affect and change the manner in which we live. And that was my big takeaway. But because we're so afraid to talk about death, I feel like we're not even living well. And if we would just take a long, hard look at the fact that death is inevitable, it's going to happen, um, my takeaway from this class was I completely, completely changed my way of living. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, that was so not articulated well. <laughs> um, it's just that we do these things where we try to shove bodies into the ground or we embalm or we get these big caskets. I mean, it's been death has been so taken out of the hands of the people who are actually experiencing it and the people who are and their loved ones that we whisk these bodies away. And then there's this huge kind of um, business that has been That's formed so American, around though. it. Yeah. It's like so perfectly American. The way we deal with death is the way we deal with marriage. It's like, how can we turn this into a business? Into a commodified yeah. thing where we have these ridiculous boxes that we put people in. Uh, how can we make this cost $25,000 or more? You yes. know, like it's, and then how do we put these, you know, with the embalming, like how do we put all these chemicals in them to make them look a certain way. And uh, it's it's really so very silly. Yeah. When, I mean, it seems like the money we throw at it almost serves to inoculate us from the anxiety we feel around mm-hmm. it. Like you're talking about anxiety around it. It's not like 
pretty. Megan, you've volunteered around people who are elderly and in hospice. Can you speak to your experience with that and anxiety? Yeah. I mean, so my mom started taking me to retirement communities when I was like a very, very young child um, because she was doing, she was a nursing teacher and they did their clinicals there. And so I started being around the older population very young and felt very, very comfortable. And, and then she started volunteering as as part of a hospice organization and I would go with her. It's amazing. And then, you know, post 2016 election, I was like, I know this is something that I can do that I don't feel like a lot of other people like jump to do. Like people want to be with kids and dogs. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm I feel comfortable being with people that are dying. That said, I feel comfortable being with older people that are dying. Like mm. when young people die, That's it's tragic. still so tragic and like heartbreaking to me. And and you don't get to pick who you're assigned to, but you do get to be like, can I have an Alzheimer's patient? <laughs> like I can and and so there is something, and and I don't think it's culturally, I, I think it's just the nature of life where when a family is around the bed of a grandmother or a grand, someone who has like lived this long life, there is this reminiscing and this person is going to be at peace and they probably are in pain and they're not going to feel that pain. And, and they've gotten to do these things and wonderful pictures. And the last woman I was with had a memoir published after she passed. But when when someone beneath a certain age does goes through that process, mm-hmm. it, there is no Bomb. release from mm-hmm. this terrible, terrible feeling for the people that are that are left on this earth being like they had so much unfinished. And and that is something that I don't know. I mean, it, it's crippling in a way because there's been times where I'm like, I don't know if I want to have children because if I were to lose a child, I, I don't think that I would be able to go on living. And then people are like, well, you can't live your life like that. And it's like, but I can't, can't I? Like it's, <laughs> it's so frightening. Right. Um, and it, and it's frightening to walk amongst people that, you know, have been through that. And I've seen people that have been able to pivot and be like, I fight now for the reason my child died and I can push all of my livelihood into that. But some people don't have that privilege Mm -hmm. to do. And so then they just go on living their life with a true empty void inside of them till they pass. Yeah. I mean, that's a thing about death. I mean, and as an alive person, I'm the least authoritative person on death. But the thing about it is it's not necessarily good or bad. It just, it is, it's, it is. And depending on who's experiencing it in the context that is surrounds it, it, that determines what's, whether it's a good or bad Mm -hmm. thing. Um, Kieran, what have you observed about traditions here in the States versus traditions elsewhere that have made death something that we handle very poorly besides the money-making thing? Well, like uh, the thing I've, I don't, I really dislike being in hospitals. Mm-hmm. Like I hate, hate mm-hmm. being in hospitals. Like I'll get, like I need to eat a Butterfinger so I don't faint if there's a pin in someone's leg. You know, really the opposite of what an Indian person should be able to do as a person who has played a doctor on TV. I know, I'm times. like, aren't you a surgeon <laughs> yeah. starting NBC yeah. Falls right yeah. after The Good Place? Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, it's kind of like, well, but 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 set hospitals don't have uh, no. the smell. No. They don't have the smell. No, they have or the, services. And they don't have the illness. You know what I yeah. mean? It's like right. just, it's all pretend. It's all, pre- thank goodness. But they're still haunted. Okay, you were saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ghosts People's are fine. careers have died Listen, there. Listen, ghosts are fine. I don't have a problem with ghosts. Um, but, 
Yeah, I uh, but I really dislike I, I'm really bad about seeing people in a ton of pain, uh, like loved ones in pain. But death doesn't bother me. Like I've noticed that every time I'll see somebody that I really love who's um, and you're looking at their body, I I always feel a tremendous amount of relief. You know, like I feel like, oh, it's yeah, it's like this isn't this isn't this isn't really their problem anymore. Mm-hmm. Like whatever, like whatever's on earth isn't like I I, th- I think that. I think that the thing that's sad is it's for everyone who's left behind. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm I'm grieving the fact that you're not in my life anymore and you don't get to I don't I don't get to have the privilege of holding your hand or I don't get to have the privilege of having you be a part of my life. It's more that than it is that I'm sad for this person because even if they didn't do everything they were supposed to do, it's kind of like not their problem anymore. Yeah. You know? It's like it's like I don't know. And so like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like um, in like in Indian culture. Well, you like I'm sure Jewish culture has like the wake, you know, where you mourn the body together. Muslim Jewish cultures like these Judeo-Christian things, they have such a step by step process that is so fascinating. And um, and and there's a reason for it. Like I've really looked into what it is, but it's really the reason is for. Practically for the uh, survivors, the people left living, of course. Yeah. And um, yeah, I would be curious what that. What does it look like? What's sure. Um, so you know, there's like 48 hours uh, to get the body into the ground, um, and I was. Oh, I always accepted it, but I never truly understood why. And I think there's this the religious theory, which um, I don't necessarily subscribe to, but is that. Um, the soul is sort of in this kind of in-between place until the body goes into the ground. It's sort of mm. confused and lost. And so and so until the body, when, when the soul sort of leaves the body, which I didn't even know Jews believed in souls, but this is according to Chabad, that when the soul is sort of like in this kind of mid place, and then when the body goes in the ground, it can you know, go on and become, I don't know, merge with the divine or however you believe that happens. And... And what that does for the survivors is they um, can begin actual mourning because they're in the state of shock where they think mm-hmm. somebody's going to walk through the front door any second. Mm-hmm. And until that body goes from the ground and you and what you do in Judaism is you actually scoop the dirt and let it hit the casket with a thud, you know, and it's the most horrible moving part of every funeral I've ever been to because you watch the person's like wife of 50 years, like Mm. pick up a piece or son, pick up a piece, you know, chunk of dirt and put it onto the casket. And everybody takes turns with a shovel and scoops it on. But that dirt hitting the casket is the first thing that happens to the survivors that go, okay, they're really gone. And then you have a week of Shiva. So where you sit and mourn and you don't do anything and you put, you know, curtains on the mirrors and people come over and bring food. And it's this really this time of just reflection and really accepting this death. Mm-hmm. And in Sikhism, they have like a, a it, it'll be like a room and they put all white in the room mm-hmm. and then everyone that you know will come in mm-hmm. and um, will come and share memories about mm-hmm. the person, which is very similar to like a yeah, Shiva. And shiva, it's like, yeah. and it's a funny thing because it's like, I think sometimes like culturally people like people can be very stoic but this is a time when like everyone like really cries together Mm -hmm. and it's like an i thought this is a very fascinating like ordained time for people to cry together Mm -hmm. um before the before the funeral hey fun fact (laughs) guess do you do you think coroners are men or women mostly 
I guess I always picture a man, but that's only because of in the Wizard of Oz, the corner of Munchkin City was a man. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, so. I'm gu- I'm gonna guess based on it being a fun fact mm-hmm. that. It's women. Well, you're wrong. No. (laughs) Here's the fun part. It's 85% women. Wow. Yeah. Women have this natural, um, they have a sense, and I think it's like morticians and also, you know, corners, is that they um, feel that people can emote more around them and Mm -hmm. that there is a sense of of sympathy and empathy that that happens. And so they're sort of drawn to be with the body because even though this person is gone, it's actually the the people who are living who can kind of commune with them a little bit mm-hmm. more easily. Mm. Yeah, I think the post-death rituals, like starting with dealing with the coroner, are really interesting culture to culture because it all centers around people being able to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, when my grandpa died, I mean, we're Irish Catholic and well, so it's like a choose your own adventure. Yeah, You're like yeah. cremated, <laughs> in the ground, mausoleum, we're getting drunk, whatever. Right, like, exactly. Here, there's no there's no roadmap. <laughs> exactly. In the, in the Catholic tradition, you just, you get really upset and avoid yeah. talking about your <laughs> yeah. feelings. Uh, and then fight with your family about something totally unrelated. <laughs> yeah. And then your cousin storms out in the after, the like after funeral, like I guess reception at someone's house. There's like six five layer bean dips there that the neighbors they didn't know what else to bring. They had all this extra cream cheese. That's not Catholic. That's Wisconsin. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess it's maybe Midwestern. But um, my grandpa, when he died, was he was a huge baseball fan. And he died at 83, but it was like sudden. He like did the like ideal death thing where he mm-hmm. like didn't wasn't in a hospital, went to bed, didn't wake up. Sucks for the family. Mm-hmm. Great for the person that actually died. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had always said, we weren't sure if it was a joke or not, that he wanted to take me out to the ball game to be his funeral recessional. Aww. And so we asked the priest in town and he was like, well, normally... That's not a church song, but okay, because my my grandparents used to go to mass like five days a week at Mm -hmm. the church. And um, so take me out to the ball game now makes me cry. So I can't, I can't, I have to leave a baseball game before the seventh inning stretch or I have to be like, I got to go to the bathroom. Like I can't listen to take me out to the ball game. You cry at that baseball game, full frontal, just (laughs) looking at that diamond. Sobbing. I do think something you said is very interesting because I've been thinking about it as we've been sitting here too, mm-hmm. of like, we all do have our own version of like the ideal way to go. Mm-hmm. And it is like in your, like my mom had an uncle who ate Thanksgiving dinner, laid down on the couch to take a nap and died at wow. mid eighties. And it's like, yeah, if I could pick that, but like so rarely, Mm. Do we get to pick what we're what we're doing ever? Mm-hmm. And rarely do people really f- reckon with what dying actually looks like. You know, it's like most for most people, it's just like a slow decline and it doesn't feel great. And you just kind of you fade out. And yeah. I, I worked at a nursing home in high school and college. I was a nursing assistant. And um, so I was like giving baths and changing mm-hmm. clothes and like, you know, helping people go through the things that they need to go through in order to like exist as humans feeding Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. um and so i saw a lot of death and 
Um, not just the old people I suffocated, you know, just, oh, you were, <laughs> no. that, you were that gal. <laughs> no, I saw, I mean, I did, I did see a lot of death and it was a lot of people who just had lived there for a very long time. And then there'd be about a week where they just went yeah. downhill really mm-hmm. quickly. Their family would come. Usually their family would go out to lunch. We'd be like, no, it's fine. They're not going to go right now. Yeah. They'd go out to lunch and then they would like wait until the family left and then go. Ugh. I love how like the stories of, you know, I, I know a woman whose mother, she was, her mother said, brush my hair today. I'm going home today. Oh, and she died that. You know, it's like they, that, that it's just so beautiful. Olivia Barham, who I took this conscious dying and death class with, um, you know, she says, pray for a terminal long illness so that you can consciously die and say goodbye to everybody. It's those really fast ones. My God, the kids, you know, Um, the the quick one, like drowning, like those are tragic Mm -hmm. because nobody is equipped for this. She said, but really, you know, everybody's like, oh, the last thing I want is a terminal disease. She said, no, that's what you do want Mm -hmm. because that can really consciously, you can start to actually see what's happening in your body. And when we took this class, we had a, we had a, do our own death, like full on third day three, wrapped in a shroud, lying on a mat, die. Oof. I know. And That's I, intense. I thought there was no way I would get it. And I was like, I'm look, I'm an actress. I'm just going to fake it till I make it. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> here is going to know. I'm just going to be like, oh, that was really powerful. Leave and go. That was a waste of money and go, <laughs> well, I got nothing out of it. By the time I got to day three, um, we had done so many exercises leading up to this and so many just sort of head head, I want to say head games, but not really. I mean, just like really unpacking our lives <laughs> that by the time we got to day three, you know, she took us on this meditative journey. You felt like you were so expansive. I honestly didn't know where my legs were. I had to like, I just was going with it. It was so beautiful that when she said, okay, now you have to come back. I landed into my body with a thud. I mean, I just, all of a sudden my neck hurt, my head, I had like a sort of a beginnings of like a coffee migraine headache. My stomach was sort of starving. I had a pee and I was like, wow, I totally left my body. And when I came back into my body, I'm in pain, you know, but she said, you know, when you do the dying process and and you really are conscious and aware of, of your body dying. Um, If you can really learn to meditate, you can take that pain from a 10 to a five. Hmm. And um, it was, it was mind blowing. What kind of like icebreaker do you do in a class like this? Oh, she's like, (laughs) that was day three. That was day day three. three I'm asking day one. Day one, we had a like list all our fears around death. Like we had to just shout them out, you know, and she wrote them on a board. So no one's like, I'm from Kansas City. That's something you wouldn't know about me. I like bean dip, seven layers. Was that my grandfather's funeral? Catholic cousins. (laughs) Fighting families, misunderstandings, passive aggression. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, that's that sounds like I mean, the ideal death thing and the fears around death thing is such an intense topic, but it's something that we've all thought about. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, meteor. I would like to get killed by a meteor. Because we just all go? With everyone else? No, just one that hits, like, maybe it annihilates, like, 10 feet around me, but there's uh-huh. nobody. Maybe I'm on a run. Oh, it I just get, vaporizes Yeah, you. and I just... I just get hit by a meteor. That's my ideal. I would like to die before my future husband. <laughs> just because I, I want him to, like, know how good he had it. Like, mm. I don't, like, there is part of me that's like, I'll leave him and then he'll 
eulogize you so well. Yeah. And then, like, if he remarries, I still want, like, photos of me around and for her to be like, she was beautiful. My my husband is such, is is a... Karen, Karen just rolled her eyes. <laughs> that was devastating. The look that Karen just oh, shot Megan. I thought we were sharing our fantasies. Yeah, and my fantasy is for my fiance's new wife <laughs> to feel like she can never measure up to me. At what point did we say we're sharing our fantasies? I really feel like Karen created a 10 foot meteor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. What's, right. what's your what's your like ideal death, Karen? I I mean I don't I don't know I don't I, I think I think if you could if it was just peaceful I think mm-hmm. a nice peaceful death would be dope I because the terminal illness thing I don't I I really dislike hospitals mm-hmm. well you, you know? could do it at home you, you can could do it do at it home and then I'd come and yeah. watch movies with you she'd come over there and and then if Megan died before and you got a new caretaker you would be like oh, the old care, the new caretaker would be like she was beautiful she, she was never, so beautiful I'll right. never measure up yeah that's uh, funny I was like can I die before the movies Megan <laughs> my husband is so well adjusted he is actually his certified death midwife. Oh, wow. Weird, weirdly. That's uh, how I got introduced to this woman. But um, he always has found the death process so profound. But I always say to him, because he's so well adjusted, I'm like, if you die, that's it. I'm like jumping in the lake. But if I die, you'll be fine. And that's really annoying. <laughs> and he's like, I won't be fine. And no. I was like, no, you you won't be fine. I mean, but I feel like you'll move on. Like you'll remarry and all that shit. And he's like, no, probably. But I'm saying I, I, won't, I probably won't be fine, though. No. <laughs> That's hilarious. The, I mean, it's... Oh, go ahead, Karen. It's slow. Like, I, but if you if you get to... If you age, you're, mm-hmm. it's like your body is going to naturally slow down anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, like your, your life, you will slow down because mm-hmm. it's like your body moves slower. You know, I was hanging out with uh, the executive producer of my movie is older. And I was I saw them when I was in New York. Um, and I think he's going to have like his 90th birthday mm-hmm. in like a month. Right. But they, they're crushing the game. It was like, but I, I like hung out with them and they like go into the courtyard and they have like a vodka gimlet and then yeah. they like watch the kids play. And wow. it was like, you know, but she like makes jokes. She's like, that kid can like, that kid climbs the stairs better than I do right now. She's, <laughs> she's faster on the stairs than I am. And they move a little bit slower, but they're still so present and they're so, um, quick witted and they have each other and, you know, and he kind of said this really nice thing that he lived, has lived a very full life, but he was like, you know, I'm just like happy to be here every day mm-hmm. and just take whatever's, you know, take, you know, the good stuff and still like loves film mm-hmm. in this way that like still has that, like, hasn't, uh, isn't bitter, isn't jaded. Mm-hmm. And to have lived a life where, you know, you've lived through like a layer cake of various forms of injustice this guy was a cbs a journalist for cbs and mm. has you know seen so much stuff but he's lived yeah, yeah. but like, he also still has thing. his wits his and wits so there's, and his optimism there's people that i've had family members one fully functioning physically alzheimer's and yeah. and, and just not mentally and and actually a in enjoyed it not enjoyed it but was a nurse and would have moments of like i I do know what's going on and then would immediately snap back out. And then another family member mentally there, everything could like read across the room is being mean to people in a way that only a young mind could mm-hmm. and physically bedridden. Mm-hmm. And and you look at that and you're like, oh, my God, those are actually like two very real options. And they both seem 
tough. Mm -hmm. I mean, they do seem tough, but then I think about things I've read about people who have gotten into accidents and have all of a sudden become like paraplegic. So they suddenly go from having like a young person's body to having a very limited mobility. Mm -hmm. And most of those people um, that I've read about talk about being very glad to be alive, mm-hmm. that the that being inside of a body, even if it's physically limited, even if it's not, can't do what you want it to do is better than not existing. Yeah. I mean, some say like um, life is a preparation of death. And if you are wise, you will learn how to die. And if you haven't learned how to die, you've missed the meaning of life. Mm-hmm. That That there is this letting go, there's a discipline, there's a training to that. And maybe I sometimes think that's what people are talking about, like, because I'm not Catholic, but I think about, you know, this whole idea of like, you come in as a sinner. It's like sort of what did you not learn from your past life that you're doomed to repeat if you and and that maybe you can like get it right this time. Mm -hmm. You know, I always say like the joke is always like, what's your when people are like, oh, what's your goal? I'm like to never have to come back here. (laughs) (laughs) That's my fucking goal. Like, I just don't want to. This is this is this is it. I don't want to do this. I mean, you're you're sort of um, interest in your affinity for death, that you re- you really like death. I mean, it seems like you have a nice relationship with it in a way. I you might it, not have to. It's calming. <laughs> I think it's calming to mm-hmm. know you're going to die. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I and I think it's much harder to be like, I'm more terrified of people that I love mm-hmm. dying, people mm-hmm. close to me that I love dying. I think because the loss of those people, like not being in my life to mm-hmm. enrich my life, which is like very quite selfish, honestly, like that, that is more upsetting to me than the fact that I won't be here. Okay. But keep in mind that those people have similar feelings about you. Of that, course. That everybody's, yes. everybody's death is going to leave uh, if you lived your life in a way that was, you know, like kind. And At good. all good. <laughs> yeah. That, that when you go, people are going to mourn you and that's going to cause people pain. <laughs> and that's like more of what I'm afraid of than anything is like... If, you know, when I go, who would I leave behind and like what pain would I be causing them? Like, you know, not, like just at the end of whatever natural life I live, like who who will I be leaving behind? And that sort of is what what scares me about having children is like, oh, I don't want to like be someone's dead mom someday. You know, my my very best friend since I was four died at 35. She got this like freaking mole on her leg. It turns out to be melanoma. Two years later, she's dead. And that was my first like brush with uh, a major death, you know, someone super close to me. And um, I, I was terrible at being her her friend during that because all I I, I wasn't letting her accept death and really sit in death. I was still being the death, the life cheerleader, and that is one regret that I have around that. But what's the difference in the two, in those two iterations? Well, you can beat the... I should have just, yeah. I, I mean, like when she started to talk about her impending death, which we didn't know it was necessarily impending, but it wasn't looking good. Um, I was just kind of talking about like what was positive. And I knew she needed somebody to just be like, can you just see me for me? I, I mean, she must have been absolutely terrified. Mm. And I think she just needed somebody to just, for lack of a better word, hold that space, you know, and just be like, I'm going to die and I need you to see it and accept it too. So we can at least talk about death. But we were so, we're, we're so programmed to like avoid and avert death mm. and any conversation around death. That's why I'm so impressed that like from such a young age, your mom had 
had you going into hospice. I, and I don't I don't think it was a conscious thing. Mm-hmm. She just was like, your school hasn't started yet and mm-hmm. I have to be at work. So like you're coming <laughs> with me. But we do, I mean, in, in hospice training, which is like very, very, I remember being like, wait, I have to, I got like a binder. So, and one of the things is like, you have to be respectful mm-hmm. of the person who's going through it and what and how they want to go through it. Mm-hmm. And and if that means they're talking about death that day, mm-hmm. you gotta be like talking about death with them and not like, no, you're gonna you're gonna fight this, you're gonna beat this, it's gonna mm-hmm. it's gonna happen because that that is that's not the place that they want to be in. They want to be like, I I need you as my as my loved one and this person with me mm-hmm. to also accept the fate that is coming, not only for me, but for all of us at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about this, Kieran, as we were as you were talking about your comfort in knowing that life has a natural end to it. Were you ever afraid of it? Was there a time when you were a kid and you found out about death or you thought about death and you stayed up until three in the morning and then like came into your parents room and you're like, it's too scary to be alive because I'm going to (laughs) die? No, I got into a very, very, very scary car accident when I was like 17, though. Like maybe, yeah, my friend was driving home from Miami and it was like somebody veered into us and the car flipped like four times and into a hill on like four, like on four lanes. Oh, my God. And she was very calm. And I remember being like, ah, this is not like I was like screaming and we we ended up being fine. But that we could have died. Like it was literally like the fact that they were like, I think the the medics came on that and then they were like, yeah, yeah, you're hella lucky to be walking away medics from this. Medics love to say that. Yeah. Do they? Is I that what they... Lo- I feel like they're like, you're lucky to be alive. It's like, I had strep throat. It's also like, yeah. we're all I've lucky to be alive. It's all, yeah. like, we're all lucky to be alive. I know. Every single day is a miracle. The fact that you, your dad's sperm, exact sperm, found your mom's exact egg at that exact moment and that you were born and that you lived is a fucking miracle. Maybe that's what they're saying on a philosophical level. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's but, but that right there, like we are so lucky to be alive, like that we don't even stop and breathe and go like, I know. one day I'm not going to do this. Mm-hmm. One day I would like this inhale, this exhale is going to be my very last one. If we lived our lives really understanding that, you know, I, all the shit that just drives us. We wouldn't have a hills to die on part of this podcast <laughs> because we'd be like, it's fine. It's not going to matter. When I'm on my deathbed, I'm going to be like, who gives two shits? But it's I, a, it's did, I oscill- have a, did I have adventure? That's my question. It's an oscillation though, right? It's like sometimes you're in a place where you're like, oh, you know, and then other times you're like, fuck this. I, you know, mm-hmm. Want my coffee hotter? Yeah, we're still here. How <laughs> dare you? That is part of life. Yeah, our indignance, petty, petty garbage that doesn't really petty matter. garbage. Petty garbage is like you never the get name of this episode. Petty garbage. <laughs> yes, death is petty garbage. No. That's, that's the thing. Death that, and other petty, petty garbage. garbage is a luxury of being alive. Like when you're alive, yeah. you get to worry about petty fucking garbage. And when you're a part of the oversoul, or when you, I don't know, when you become a ghost and start haunting all your exes or whatever you're gonna do after you die, like you don't get to be petty anymore. You have to be either like scary or part of something way bigger (laughs) or like in heaven, like walking around and getting bored. I remember being a kid being like, heaven seems boring. Like if I'm in any place for longer than a couple days, I get bored. Like, Mm -hmm. how are you supposed to be in heaven forever? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I asked uh, an energetic healer. I may have even said it on this podcast before, but I was like, I I just like, I feel like I want to know what death is, but we're not supposed to know. And she said, do you want to know what death is? And all energetic healers have all the answers, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like she was really tuned. Yeah, because I'm like, how's this bitch? No. Yeah, <laughs> she's. I feel like she's very tuned into something. <laughs> but she said, um, 
she said, imagine that she, the way she described death to me is she said, um, imagine if life is this room that we're in right now with these blue curtains and our microphones and, you know, our coffees, that this is life. Everything in here is what we know and that's life. And then somebody says to you, what if I told you there's an ocean out there Mm -hmm. and there's mountains and you're like, I can't conceive that because what I know is there's chairs and there's a table and there's blue curtains. And that's what death is. Death is like so beyond our wildest uh, dreams of what also is out there. Ayahuasca, when you do ayahuasca, it has a feel like there's a feeling of what it feels like to be dead. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh yeah, why would I want to come back here? It's infinite. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a very, or the idea that it's like, oh, death is like right here, but it's like on a plane that we're not on right now. Like you're, you have to be in a body. Mm -hmm. Like you have, you have to be in a body and you have to deal with the logistics of living. You have to deal with other people. Mm -hmm. You have to deal with traffic at the Grove. You have, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, you (laughs) have, like, you don't have to go to the Grove. You have to buy Americana. You have to buy clothes. (laughs) You have to feed your body. You have to poop. There's so much stuff. You just like, you know. I love all of the stuff you named. (laughs) You have to buy clothes. You have to eat. You have to poop. It's like, what a great day. (laughs) Yeah, I know. This this is like, Megan's like, ideal, ideal. I love life. Yeah. <laughs> You're like big fan, big fan of all of it. I was Love so it. bad at ayahuasca because I was still controlling. I was still like, I was still like, it, it, every time this plant wanted to show me something, I was like, too dark, show me something nicer. Aww. And then it was like, okay, here's some other stuff, and also some reality. I'm like, too real, good, something nicer. Well, at least, at least you, at least she was like, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Like she like met you where you were. She was just like, oh, you young, young dumb soul. All right, <laughs> let, I'll just show you a bunch of colors. You happy? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Dope. That's good. I've never like we. I've never done ayahuasca, but based on these two dis- disparate experiences, I'm not sure that I want to take a risk that I'll have one or the other. <laughs> Ooh, being dead seems fine. Ooh, I'm scared. No, I'm just gonna go ahead and like keep living. Well, you know what I found in ayahuasca, which I feel like could, it does give me like pangs of my fear around death. Is I don't like to throw up at all. I mean, that is, I will do. I will do anything not to throw up. I will. I will shit for fifty years rather than throw up for 10 seconds, yeah. you know? Oh, I'm and, so with you on this. Yeah. And you haven't thought you haven't thought that through. Well, 50 I did years is a long time. Full, it is a long time to shit. For it's sure. just for shitting, shit, yeah. just to not throw up for 10 seconds. But when you do ayahuasca, you have this overwhelming ur- urge to purge. And, um, and it's so scary. And my blood pressure was like up and I was sweating and I was just like, oh God, not this, not this, not this. And then you face it. And, and you survive it, and not only do you survive it, you're you're quite liberated and free of this thing that was so impending and going to happen, and you knew it was going to happen, you just didn't know when or how. You know, it feels like death. And um, I think about this quote from, I think it was Osha or something, but it's like something like, I'm probably going to totally butcher it, but it's something like, the person you are thinks they can't do it, thinks they can't die. Um, but the person you are can do it, which means that the person you think you are needs to die, Whew. which is crazy. That is intense. Yeah. Well, ladies, we're out of time. Oh, talk about yeah. it. <laughs> oh, I, Kieran was locked and loaded. I oh, yeah, yeah. Kieran, what did you want to, what did you want to Oh, I was going to say that um, there was a, th- th- you asked about, there's a three-year-old that I saw on the street one time. 
I don't know if this is a great thing to end on, but it was like there's a three year old that I saw on the street one time who was literally like, I think the first time that the kid had like learned about death because they're like walking down a street and the mom like had a coffee and they're going. And he was so upset, you know, like just walking down the street and being like, but what's going to happen to me? Uh But what are you like? Are oh you gonna come? Are you gonna come back? But uh. will you come back? And she's like, "Well, no, I, I won't come back." And then she's, he's like, "But if you don't come back, what am I gonna do?" Oh my god! And then he's like, "Well, somebody else will take care of you." And he's like, "But I'll still be here," you know, oh. watching someone. It's really that was interesting because it's like the sun was shining. It was a nice day. Like nothing is actually wrong except this child is like learning about death for the, the kid first time. Just got its shit rocked. Yeah, by that's learning right. About death. Yeah, it it was kind of like really. Yeah, really poignant. I actually think that the more we live in cities and the more separate we are from nature, Mm -hmm. the less we actually see what death looks like and how natural it is Mm -hmm. and how it's just a part of life for literally everything that's ever been alive. And so I think that one way to kind of develop a healthy relationship with it is to spend more time around nature, watching nature, being out in nature, because it's just part of what goes on out there. It's part of everything. I want to end on a quote, though, uh, because I began with few quotes. Um, This is from the band Cutting Crew. Oh, I just died in your arms tonight. (laughs) It must have been some kind of kiss. I should have walked away. I should have walked away. So everybody think about that one. Food for thought. (laughs) We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top-quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Okay, we're back. We're at the part of the show where we take really adamant stances on things that don't really matter. It's the hills we'll die on. Let's get started with our listener hill. Hi, this is Mary Elizabeth. The hill that I will die on is that if you are using an emoji in a disagreement, you have escalated this to war. If you take the time to go search for the perfect emoji to express your sarcasm or your anger or whatever, you have just gone too fucking far. Um, There is no reason to put a little heart after your sarcastic little comment. There's no reason to put an angry face when we're in the middle of a text argument like chill the fuck out. Out. Uh, that's the hill I'm going to die on. No emojis in arguments. Huh. I don't think people should be texting arguments. Uh, that's. I was just about to say the same thing. Texting. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Mary Elizabeth, but it's like, girl, you got to pick up the phone. 
It's passive aggressive. Uh, also, uh, where is Mary Elizabeth? Is she she is walking in downtown Chicago oh. <laughs> at the peak of wind season. Um, this reminds me, there was a hill the last time I was on, it was about washing hands. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, oh, I, you know, she taught people how to pass like the national nursing. And she's like, if you don't wet your hand before you put soap on, you fail the test right there. Wow. So, Put the water on, girls. Wow. So, mm. And don't put an emoji after telling people to put the water no, on their hands no. first because that will escalate it Just to war. Just call people. Okay. Just one time I Mermaid. called you and you were like, and I was like, one time I, one time I called Megan Gailey. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember, but I saw you and I was like, oh, I called you. And you turned around and you're like, uh, the only person I pick up the phone for is my mother. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> I can't believe I said that. That's and very rude. And then you rude. walked into the elevator. No, that and is And then you not went down the elevator and I was true. like, Damn. I, I didn't hold the elevator for you? <laughs> I need um, no, I do. I just assume people are butt dialing me. Mm-hmm. Um, especially like someone, you know, that I text with and like have different text threads oh. with. I was just like, oh, I'm sure she's butt dialing me. And for me to answer would be rude to you. And I assume somebody died. <laughs> uh, yeah. What's wrong is my default picking lot, up the phone. A lot of people do think that that I would agree with you, especially if it's an argument or especially if the tone is lost. It's better to pick up the phone. But I've found that sometimes now people are like, think it's super weird. Like what? Like like what? Did somebody die? Is it an emergency? I like emergency? talking on the phone now. You know, I would answer now. Remember though. when I called you, Karen, and we talked on the phone for a really long time? I do remember that. See? Yeah. Now I feel like I should have It was, I had, I had a point in calling. It wasn't like, hey girl, yeah. what's up? But yeah, yeah. we had, ended up She had shit, a point in calling shit, me. Shit, too. Shit, chat. And then it was so foreign and strange. Like, I was like, this is so lovely. I love this. I imagined you on a landline and it was like one of the, like, it was like a, <laughs> With te- the longest it, yeah, it was like ever. a teal phone so and it was standing like, in the kitchen and it was like a curly, you know what I mean? You're like on a Sofa. And I had curlers in my hand. And then you had to and then you had to reach for something and you had the cord. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm gonna go with my hill now that I think we've totally exhausted everything we could have talked about yeah. re- with regard to that one. Here's the hill I'll die on this week. Streaming services need to allow me to stream television or search for episodes of television by topic. Mm-hmm. If I want to watch a bunch of Thanksgiving episodes, I should be able to watch them all autoplay one mm-hmm. after another. Mm-hmm. If I want to watch a bunch of episodes about death, which I was doing yesterday because I was like, you know, how have different shows dealt with it? Mm-hmm. I should be able to just have a death play. I should be able to make a playlist that's topical. Mm. I should be able to look up an episode about like, you know, somebody gets a dog or like a very special drugs episode. Or I want, I want to be able to like look it up by topic. I think that'd be very convenient and it'd be yeah. nice. I, especially for holiday episodes. Oh yeah, absolutely. I want yeah, to... Death is not a mood on the Spotify playlist. <laughs> <laughs> death radio. Focus, study, Ambient death. Death. <laughs> Although when uh, when my cat was really sick, I found a playlist. as so embarrassing because I became psychotic. Um, a playlist called like Healing Tones, and it was like different <laughs> megahertz or whatever. It was like these vibrations are good for healing, and I played them in the bedroom where she was laying. <laughs> There's also apparently an <laughs> app that Caroline <laughs> Caroline sent over to us where there was an app. The New York Times or whatever had reviewed an app where. Five times a day, it gives you reminders of you're going to die at random times of the day. I feel oh like that's God. what my iWatch does when it tells me to breathe. Right. It's <laughs> the kind of similar. It's, it's like, ah, stop bre- stop dying ah, right now. Keep it alive. Keep it going. All keep right. it going. <laughs> All right. Okay. Who wants to go next? Megan, do you want to go next? I'm ready to go. I love and hate. Mm, I am already loving this. <laughs> I love and hate 
the smell of a Subway sandwich shop. Mm. Like walking past it, it's a smell mm-hmm. that I'm like, I love it and I hate Like it's like so familiar. Great. It's so familiar yeah. and like soothing in that way. Mm. But it's also like, well, this smells disgusting, but I also really like how it smells. And it's so specific of a smell that I I think if I were to ever like get a concussion, if we were playing um, a hysteria football game, you could like wave a Subway sandwich smell beneath my nose and I would come to. Wow. <laughs> it's That's like, how powerful mm-hmm. it is on me. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting. One time I was on a train from Connecticut to New York City and I got a Subway sandwich before I got on the train, but I got like a tuna fish sandwich oh. and I was on the train and I was like, I can't eat this. No. So I just had to hold it the whole time. Yeah, and throw that's it irresponsible I would, traveling. Yeah, I would have eaten it. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't say it. Their tuna, like, their tuna salad's good too. Don't, ha- don't ever open black cod in Whoa, a, in a public arena. <laughs> Black cod? Yeah, it smells like a, it. It smells like a you know, like Was a, it cooked? I love the idea that you just went to the fish mart delicious. like the fishmonger Ooh, and you just black cod full. is oh, it was so cooked. good. Too. Okay, yeah. Miso. Yeah, it's a real stinker. That's yeah. So yeah. It I just don't like, uh, just, it smells like a thousand dead babies. <laughs> <laughs> confined spaces, confined spaces and pungent food is hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. Okay, Kieran, what's the hill you'll die on this week? I don't like Irish goodbyes. <laughs> I thought you were going to end it with people. people. Uh, I mean, and I would say, I don't blame you. And then I would have been like, pause. Yeah, I don't like Irish. No, I don't like the Irish goodbye. Mm-hmm. Irish people are fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's very selfish to think that people care that you're leaving. You know, to be like, I have to sneak out. Everyone will be devastated. Or, or, or you're so, or the, it's just, I think it's so rude. I think it's like, I just think it's so incredibly rude. It's like, just say goodbye. What the fuck is wrong with you? And I get that people are like, oh, but then like it may have to take me 15 minutes to say goodbye to yeah, everybody. Yeah, but you might get in a car accident and never see any of these people yeah. again. Yeah, and goodbye. it's just like, it's also just, yeah, it's just rude. <laughs> just just be like, I got to run and get better at like drawing boundaries. And like when you have yeah. to roll out, be yeah. like, you know, I'm so sorry I've got to run, but it was great to see you to whoever it is on your way out of the mm-hmm. place. Like mm-hmm. just get, just be a fucking adult. If you're what too high or too people? drunk. Can you do it though? Because I feel like I'm high. I'll be high at a party and I'm like, I gotta go right now. Gonna, <laughs> and then I just like babadoo my way out. Then you say to everybody, I have to go. I'm gonna barf. I have to go. Baba, I'm gonna. Barf. I usually go. I got him really high. I gotta go. Babadoo like, is a babadoo is a verb. Is really what I took I away from that. that. I love that. I used to be a really bad Irish goodbye person. I would just be like. My night's over and yeah. leave. Yeah. Uh, but then people would worry about me. Mm-hmm. So what I do now is I say... They'd all go, is she mad at me? Mm-hmm. That's what we do. That's what the codependence She vanished. The answer is yes. <laughs> um, but it's no, rude. It's rude. Now I say, well, it just, I also hate the half hour goodbye. If you're like in a group and there's one person who wants to say goodbye to fucking everybody, mm-hmm. it's like the most annoying thing in the world. I think say goodbye to the host mm-hmm. and say goodbye to the person that you were like most recently in a long conversation with. That's what I think. I go to parties with my husband who doesn't know anybody and I'm like we're going it's a strategic strike we're going in we're going out we're Mm -hmm. going in we're saying hi to that one person that I need to say hi to and then we're out of here 20 minutes later I'm waiting at valet and he's like I made a friend it was wonderful (laughs) to meet you good luck with the surgery I'm like what is happening get your ass out here I do that (laughs) he's meeting his future wives his wives of the future he's just like playing fine with everything planting the seeds man (laughs) okay Michaela do you want to bring it home oh sure I'll bring it home this is probably a little you know dumb but 
so this is like the that's good, that's bad book. We're like, that's good. No, that's bad. So what's good is that, you know, I'm with AT&T as my, as my service. <laughs> and what's good is that they've started to be like, okay, we understand that there's spam. And so we're creating ways and like hacks to block it before it calls you and things like that. That's good. Except that what's bad is that spam has gone, you know, huge. Mm-hmm. Like now it's blocking like every third call. Call Fine, I'm not getting it, but I must be getting like 10 to, to 15 calls, unwanted calls a day. But now they're saying, okay, now I'm getting these text spam things and... Um, they're not from a phone number. They're from websites, okay? And and what AT&T is saying, just text us this thing, you know, and the number that it's from, and we can block it, you know? But I, I text the, the, the text, which says, like, this week on Shark Tank, and uh, you can lose 150 pounds, just like they did on Shark Tank. Well, then I text it to them, and it says, add the phone number. So I put in the website that it's coming from, and it says please add the phone number. So I put in the website that's coming from, it says, please add the phone number. I'm like, get fucking AT&T, get your shit together. I've had it with you. You know, you know what you're doing. You know how to block it. You know, you have the ability to do it. And you and think you they're, don't. Just, they're just letting these people like get sweetheart deals and kind of have a I think they're a looking while. for, honestly, I think they're looking for a way of like, before we go full board, like stopping this bullshit, I think let's figure out how can we commodify this? How can we make people mm-hmm. pay $10 a month so that they can we can block things that we already have the ability to block? So rude. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. It's very rude. I, and next week on This Is What I Think. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I actually don't really know what your hill is, but I yeah. agree with you. My, yeah, hill, yeah. my hill is like tech companies have abilities that they're not, you know, oh, using, yes. and it makes me angry. Oh, yeah. yes. yes. It's, it's like yes, Twitter, yes. And I'm, Twitter being like, well, what are we going to do oh, about gosh. all the Nazis on here? <laughs> yeah. We can't oh, yeah. do anything exactly. about it. You right. fool no one. You fool no one. Right. Real, real petty concern. Right, right. You know, shifting and, our elections. Right. <laughs> and Facebook has people, like whole rooms full of people who filter out offensive content. That's, yeah. their, that's their only job. Why can't we have a room of people that filter out Nazis? Mm-hmm. Why can't we have a room of people that filter out websites that text Michaela? Why can't we have a room that filters out med uh, websites where it, instead of going straight to you have a brain tumor, they say, like, you probably have indigestion first. Mm-hmm. Like, start there and then build a brain tumor. Okay, Right, right. They should give you a series, <laughs> I think, of, of steps that are like step one, drink like eight ounces of water mm-hmm. and wait half an hour. Okay. Yeah. Do you still feel like shit? Probably not. Because That's a great we should, idea. We should all just yeah. be waiting, drinking eight ounces of water and then mm-hmm. waiting half an hour and most right. of the shit will go away. Exactly. I mean, unless your arm's falling off or mm-hmm. something. It's not yeah, good. but you still need to hydrate. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have one arm and be dehydrated. That's a very good point. I can tell that your mother works in medicine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wash your hands, get a water. <laughs> all right, guys, that's all the time we have. Oh, uh, here in Megan and Michaela, thank you for stopping by. Thanks to Alyssa Mastermonico for calling in Woo! and breaking down the news with me. And there will be more hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Nadina Malconian and Elijah Cohn, for production support each week.
Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top-quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.